Our scripture reading this morning is um, from the gospel section of the lectionary reading. So this is taken from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, and I'll be reading from the NLT. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give them to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him up to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Hello, my name is Ron Croker, and I have been attending Elevation Church for quite a few years now, and I'm happy to be speaking this morning uh, on the first week of Lent, first Sunday of Lent. I'm going to be preaching from Luke chapter 4. It's one of the readings for the first week of Lent uh, in the lectionary for this year. And this passage, it's already been read to you for, so hopefully you're a bit familiar with it at this point. Um, but there's a, a number of unusual things about this passage. And really, I want to address, first of all, two questions that arise, at least in my mind, about this passage. Um, first of all, why did Jesus have to go 40 days into the desert to fast and be tempted by the devil. Now, just before uh, the temptation in the Gospels, Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. And after the baptism, or at the baptism, voice comes from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. And then the, the spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And so there's lots going on there. And you'd think this would be a perfect uh, introduction to or a perfect initiation into his ministry. So why didn't he just go out at this point um, and start his ministry? Instead, he has to go 40 um, days into the desert. Uh, and so that's the first question. The second question has to do with who he met when he went into the desert. Now, when I was a young Christian, um, I remember being told often that a quiet time was important, where you get alone and you pray and meditate on the scripture, and that was a very important thing, to have a quiet time. And in quiet time, you met with God. That was your time um, to meet with God. And he, But here, though, in this passage, we have Jesus kind of um, on a uh, an ultimate quiet time. And who does he meet in the desert? He meets the devil in the desert. And so it's a bit of a question, why, why the devil? So those are our two questions, first of all, that I want to um, answer. Now, um, to answer these questions, I think it helps 
if we take a thematic approach, because these things have, um, these are these things are entering into themes which we see um, throughout Scripture, and I think um, this will help us to explain it if we kind of do some backtracking. First of all, um, going to um, the Old Testament. So, the question on spending forty days uh, in the desert fasting. There's two references in the Old Testament. Um, of the Bible that are significant here, I think. First of all, um, we have Moses, uh, the great lawgiver um, of the Israelites. He spent 40 days and 40 nights alone on a mountain. And, and really, the mountain was very similar to the desert. Um, it was a place where he was alone, uh, where Moses was alone. It was a desert place, um, just like where Jesus went in Luke 4. Um, and this is where Moses receive the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 34, 28, it says, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments um, was the basis for the covenant that God made with his people, the Israelites. And so, on the basis of the Ten Commandments and the other commandments, um, the Lord said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And so this was uh, the beginning, the initiation in a way um, of the Israelites becoming the people of God on the basis of the commandments. And so um, I think you can see the parallel. We can see the parallel quite clearly in Jesus' temptation, 40 days alone um, in the desert like Moses. And it it, it reminds us that um, or points us to the fact that Jesus was uh uh, initiating now a new people of God or a renewal of the people of God as he goes out from this 40 um, days and 40 nights. And we know that Jesus goes out uh, and starts preaching right after this. And he calls people um, to renewal when he says, repent and, and um, for the kingdom of God is upon you uh, and so on. Uh, so, um, you can see the parallels pretty closely here. Second uh, passage that I want to look at from, um, the, uh, from the Old Testament is in Genesis. And this is, has to do uh, with the 40 days and 40 nights which, uh, in which the Lord um, flooded the earth. So, um, the world was created and things didn't go um, too well, to put it in a nutshell. Um, and people were corrupted, and God said, I'm going to redo the thing, and so I'm going to send a flood to destroy the world, and then there will be a new creation. I mean, that's the, he, it doesn't exactly say that in those exact words, but that's the idea. After the flood um, wipes away the old creation, then God makes a new creation, and we go on from there. Uh, and so it says in Genesis 7, seven days from now I will send rain on the earth, for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And then in Genesis 7:12, uh, just a little bit later, it says, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Um, and so after that 40 days and 40 nights of flooding, then came a new creation. Now, um, creation stories, to understand them, they, they have a, a number of sort of literary conventions um, associated with them. There's a pattern, first of all, a very basic pattern of chaos to cosmos um, from uh, a time where uh, there's 
the world or what exists is empty, formless, um, dark, and so on, to a time through the creation where an orderly world comes into place. So it's um, it's chaos um, to cosmos, or cosmos, the orderly world, the ordered world arising out of chaos. Um, and there's a, a number of images for chaos that are important to understand as well. Um, so the chaos from which the cosmos uh, arrives. And it's kind of an essential step, too, um, in creation stories. And so one of the images of chaos is water, very common one. Um, and it's probably related to the formlessness of water. So we're going from the formlessness of chaos to the orderliness of cosmos. And, um, and that's uh, the image there, dominant image there, a very important image is water. Um, and then um, another image that you see in creation stories for chaos is the image of emptiness or a gap. And that's actually what um, chaos literally means um, in the original meaning of the ancient Greek, um, the chaos is a gap, an emptiness. And the idea there must be something like, um, in the emptiness, um, the creation uh, comes about and fills that emptiness with, you know, a good and orderly world. Um, and the other uh, image, maybe not always quite so important, but darkness uh, as well. You go from darkness to light, darkness of chaos to the light of the uh, ordered world. Now, if you're wondering where this is coming from, um, you do see it very clearly in the first verses of the Bible. You see these images for chaos. Uh, and so it says in uh, Genesis 1 verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So you see all those things that I was talking about, the darkness um, over the surface of the deep, um, the formlessness and emptiness that um, was there, and also the water, uh, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And so all these images are in the um, creation story in the Bible, which precede God speaking the cosmos, the orderly world, into existence, right? So, so water is one of the dominant, uh, dominant um, images of chaos. And so when God sends a flood to destroy the world, this represents the chaos which precedes a new creation, um, which, uh, you know, was accompanied by, um, after Noah's Ark and so on, um, was accompanied by a rainbow. And so, um, the um, the image of, of Jesus going into the desert then for 40 days and 40 nights, same time as the flood was in Genesis 1, represents chaos, really. Because remember, one of the images of chaos is water, like in Noah's uh, flood. Um, one of the images, emptiness, which is exactly the definition of the desert, because um, the Greek word eremos means an abandoned place, a desert where no one or nothing is, right? So clearly the desert is an image of chaos. And again, it's this idea, I think we have this idea of something necessary, a, a, a kind of a chaos um, in the life of Christ before there's a new creation, when he goes out and on the basis of his words and deeds, his death and resurrection, a new people of God um, come about, a, a sort of new creation. 
Um, and so it's all kind of consistent um, if we understand it according to these biblical themes. But now the second question, second question after we've answered, I hope, um, 40 days, why Jesus had to go to the desert for 40 days. Um, the second question is, why was the devil there? Now, um, the answer is that the devil is a chaotic figure. Um, and so Jesus goes into the place which represents chaos, the desert, and he finds a chaotic figure, a figure who belongs in the chaos, who belongs in the desert, and that's the devil. Now, how do I get that? Well, if you go back to Genesis 1 again, well, the creation story, Genesis 1 to 4 or so, um, wherever you want to end it. Um, in Genesis, it says um, that uh, when Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, were put in the garden, there was a serpent there. And the serpent tempts um, uh, tempts Eve. And we know that the, the serpent is a type of the devil, because in Revelation, it says the devil, that ancient serpent, the devil, that ancient serpent. And so we're supposed to go, oh yeah, the devil, that the ancient serpent is a type, the same kind of a figure, um, same figure as uh, the devil. So the Bible clearly connects the uh, serpent and the devil. And the serpent is a chaotic figure in the creation stories because he comes along and he questions what God has told to Adam and Eve. Um, and in questioning, uh, in causing this question to arise, in trying to tempt uh, Adam and Eve with doubt, um, he's trying to disrupt God's orderly creation. He's trying to disrupt the cosmos so it will go back to chaos, which it kind of does, um, because Adam and Eve fall and all the good orderly existence that they had was kind of disrupted. So clearly, um, the serpent was a chaotic figure, and the devil um, in the chaos of the uh, of the desert that Jesus goes to to be tempted 40 days and 40 nights is doing the same thing, is trying to keep this new creation um, from happening. And if you look at the similarities of what they do, the serpent uh, in the garden and uh, the devil in um, the desert, you get, you get a striking similarity. First of all, in the uh, garden, uh, the devil comes to Eve and said, did God really say did God really say you, um, you, you are not to eat from um, any of the trees in the garden? Now, this is kind of what God had said, not a, maybe exactly, but um, he's causing Eve to think about this thing God had said, um, causing her to doubt it. And, and as you, if you know the, how the story goes on, you'll see very clearly. Now, this is exactly what the devil does, the same sort of thing the devil does um, when he comes to Jesus, or tries to do when he comes to Jesus in the uh, in the desert, but because he he starts his uh, his temptations off with, "If you are the Son of God." Now, why is that so important? If you are the Son of God, well, we've just had the baptism of Jesus, as I said, and the voice of God came from heaven. I think it's the voice of God that comes from heaven normally. So the voice of God comes from heaven and says, "You are my Son." whom I love. And so God has said, you're my son. Devil says, if you are the son, if what God is saying is true, and he's trying to sow doubt um, in Jesus, just like the serpent was. And so this is why the serpent is in the desert. Uh, sorry, this is why the devil is in the desert in this story, because he is a chaotic figure who belongs in the chaos, which precedes a new creation. Okay, 
So um, I think, I hope that answers the two big questions that at least arise in my mind when I think about this passage. Now, let's talk about the, the nature of the temptations themselves. Now, there's a lot of things you could you know, try to wrap your head around and try to understand in, in terms of exactly why Jesus replied in the way he did to the different things that the devil tempted him with. But essentially, what's happening here is the devil is coming to him with three temptations, and each temptation, um, Jesus says, no, no, what you're suggesting, I am not going to follow. And so, he, and he does that by quoting scripture, by uh, falling back on the word of God. And so um, the first temptation, the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone, this stone right here, to become bread. Now, this is kind of topical, um, obviously, uh, because um, Jesus had been fasting and he was very, very hungry, um, but he refused. Uh, the devil's temptation by saying man does not live on bread alone. Man does not live on bread alone. Now, in uh, Matthew's gospel, it expands that and says, and Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word or by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, and that's the point of it. Jesus is saying, you know, there's something more important than fulfilling our physical needs and desires. And so he says no to this temptation um, of the devil. But, you know, this is, um, this is something that is uh, typical, I think, of all people. Like, it's always our temptation to constantly focus uh, on our physical um, needs and desires to the exclusion of the higher things, um, the kingdom of God and um, the voice of God, the communication of God uh, to us. Um, I mean, personally, we find ourselves, I think, if you're anything like me, doing this all the time. But even corporately, um, it's the economy, stupid. Uh, where does that come from? Some election, you know, every time there's an election. Remember, it's the economy, stupid. It's people's bread and butter, the food that they, um, uh, the money they need to buy f food and other things for their physical existence, right? This is very much part of... Um, us as individuals and corporately. Um, but Jesus um, said no to his physical needs and desires so that he could say yes um, to uh, the spiritual things, the higher things, and his calling, which he was about to, uh, to begin. Second temptation um, is um, the devil takes Jesus to a high place and shows him all the kingdoms of the world in an instant of time. And he says to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. If you worship me, um, it will all be yours. And so here's the second temptation. And Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This is what's written. Um, you're only to worship God. Uh, and so um, I suppose, again, here's a, here's a very basic temptation, that human temptation that Jesus is faced with. He's being tempted to grasp um, all the power and possessions 
of the world, all their authority and splendor of the kingdoms of the world. And this is a very natural temptation. Um, leaders want, um, powerful men and women, I suppose, want um, more power, more possessions. And um, there's always a temptation to reach out for more. Uh, and I suppose, I suppose, you know, I mean, one thing that's very, very troubling going on in the in the world right now is a very powerful man has invaded another country, neighboring country, and you go, why? That's crazy. Why would you just invade another country and throw the world into disruption? Uh, and then, and you know, even threaten to use nuclear uh, weapons. Why would you do that? And this may be an overly simplistic answer. But maybe it, when you get right down to it, it has to do with the desire for the kingdoms of the world. Let's add another kingdom to the kingdoms that I already have. Um, and, um, and maybe even on a smaller scale, all of us are assailed with the same sort of temptation where um, we want as much um, power and possessions as we possibly um, can get. It's interesting that in this passage, it says, the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, their, their splendor and authority in an instant of time, in a point of time, in just a second. And somebody commented long ago uh, on this saying that maybe the devil didn't want Jesus to take a good, hard, long look at the kingdoms of the world, because the kingdoms of the world are tawdry. They look flashy and colorful and attractive, as long as you don't really inspect them. And then you see that in so very many ways, they're empty. And to possess them um, is an empty thing, because there's something greater. There's something greater that we can have if we say no to this temptation, and that is uh, the kingdom of God. And as I said before, I think, um, after Jesus, especially in Matthew's gospel, it's clear after Jesus is tempted by the devil, tempted with all the kingdoms of the world, then he goes out and says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. It's right here. It's right here. And he's saying that's the thing. And the whole point here is that's the thing we want to strive for, the kingdom of God, which is um, based not on, um, you know, flashy things, flashy but empty things, but it's based on um, truth and grace and love, something really worth having. Uh, the third of the temptations is the devil takes Jesus to Jerusalem and he brings him to the pinnacle of the temple and says, if you are the son of God, um, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, now the um, devil takes to quoting scripture, which is a little disturbing too, but in any case, um, he says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And that was it. So again, Jesus said, no, I am not going to fall. Um, to this temptation. Now, the temptation here um, appears to be um, the temptation of having fame and acclaim, because if Jesus were to throw himself down from the temple 
and be rescued by the angels, then people would say, this is the Messiah. And, and notice it's in a place where people are gathered in the temple, right? He throws himself down. People see it and they say, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy, which the devil has just um, quoted. Uh, and this, is the, this must be the Messiah. Um, so the temptation is for fame, acclaim, being recognized immediately and quite easily, although it's a bit of a leap of faith, I suppose, um, to, uh, to be the Messiah. Uh, now, um, it was the divine goal, of course, for Jesus to be recognized as the Messiah, but not this way, not in this, uh, uh, um, you know, such dramatic, um, overt way, because God's plan was that um, Jesus become the Messiah and recognized as such ultimately um, through rejection, mockery, suffering, and the crucifixion. Jesus told us, kind of disturbingly, that we're to take up our cross and, and follow him. Uh, and so um, one of the things that as we enter into Lent, um, we realize, you know, we're entering into some of the darker um, parts of Jesus' life, which is um, that sometimes uh, doing the right thing uh, and going through the right processes, the way of truth and love and peace and grace, sometimes these things um, lead to uh, not a very impressive experience, but experience of, of mockery and rejection um, and exclusion. Uh, and so, um, so this is kind of a sobering thought, but this seems to be uh, the part of the essence of Jesus' um, third temptation. Uh, and if we want to enter into uh, the life of Jesus in this way, it must have something to do with rejecting self-centeredness, self-promotion, self-aggrandizement, and perhaps self-comfort as well, um, in order ultimately to lift others up, just as Jesus did um, in his uh, rejection before he became ultimately recognized as the Messiah. He said, if I'm lifted up like on the cross, um, I will draw all men, all people to myself. So Jesus goes through this rejection, marginalization, in order to lift others up while he's being uh, being crucified and the other associated things. So this is the first week um, of Lent, first week of 40 days of being in the desert, um, being in the place of chaos, because uh, it is a sort of emptiness. It's a sort of emptiness um, in which we uh, in which we say no to various things, perhaps just like Jesus said no in the 40 days and 40 nights uh, in the desert. But it's all in anticipation of afterwards seeing a new creation, experiencing a new creation in Easter, in the resurrection uh, and the exaltation um, of Christ. So for this period, we need to say no, just as Jesus did in the desert. No to the pursuit of bodily needs and desires. No to the pursuit of power and possessions. No to personal aggrandizement and personal centering so that we can say yes to the kingdom of God.
because the kingdom of God is near. It is here in the person of Jesus. And we'd like to close with a, a prayer from the uh, Revised Common Lectionary. And it's a prayer which incorporates both the experience of Jesus' temptation in the desert and his preceding baptism. God of wilderness and water, your son was baptized and tempted as we are. Guide us through this season that we may not avoid struggle, but open ourselves to blessing. Through the cleansing depths of repentance and the heaven-rending words of the Spirit. Amen. So we invite you now to join the discussion call, um, and the link is in the comments. Thank you.